thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauli and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Many people end up in sales because it was an opportunity for them and they found the passion in it. For others, selling was something they did their whole life so they knew exactly what they wanted to do for a career. Our next guest started young and has had a very successful career. I'm excited to have our next guest, Doug Dawson, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service at the Dallas Cowboys. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you. No, always a pleasure and excited for our conversation and all the advice you have for the listeners. And let's kick it off from the beginning where I introed. Sales has been in your blood for a long, long time. You even had an early experience of ticketing and ticket sales at a Major League Baseball game. So, Doug, please share with the listeners your experience of going to Three River Stadium there in Pittsburgh for some Pirates games. Yeah, so, you know, when, when I was a kid, my dad and I loved to go to games. And I think like a lot of people, we, you know, with 81 baseball games a year, season tickets was never something we even thought about. And I always find it interesting now that, that, you know, I know they had many plans and things like that, but no one had ever, I never saw anything about it. Of course I was young and my dad never, never made that commitment. And so we would go to games. And one of the things that I would do is they had a, a, a speed pitch game that, if you could guess your speed, you'd win tickets. And so we'd go and I'd always want to do that. And usually one or two times I'd be able to win. And my dad's kind of promise to me was if you win, you know, we'll come back. And so there was one year in particular, uh, and I can't remember the exact year. I want to say I was probably in eighth grade. So, um, but the pirates, they had been in the cellar for years and this was their first chance to get out. But they had to win like the last six or seven games. And we went to every single one of them and <laughs> only paid for them the first time. And, the first uh, time around. Yeah. And so they'd give us the vouchers and we'd come back and walk up. And, but I'd say my dad and I would go to 10, 12 games a year for as long as I can remember. And so, but it, it just blew my mind that, you know, no one ever called our house and said, Hey, um, you know, you should, you guys should be season tickets, t- season ticket holders. I'm seeing your name on this list a lot, right? Um, but it worked out for us. And, uh, little did I know that I'd end up in that business one day, end up doing it. I assume that the speed pitch was 90 plus back then. 
<laughs> um, no. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know what? That I can't remember. Uh, but I will tell you that um, my, my method to it was I would throw the first two and then I'd usually have a, a, a similar number. And then I would just, whatever that number was, I'd guess one, one mile per hour faster. And then I just put all I had into it and it usually worked. <laughs> As you say, seven, eight straight free games. It, it worked out well. And, you know, even exactly. going back further, you grow up in St. Clairsville, Ohio, and you grow up yep. with nine total siblings. So was sports competitiveness just always a part of your life? You know, it, it I would say my, you know, my dad was a huge sports fan. Um, and so of those nine siblings, only two of them really did I grow up with. Um, the other ones, I, I mean, I wish I didn't say I didn't grow up with them. They just weren't around as much because they were much older. Um, and it was for me, you know, my dad loved sports. So he'd, whether he was watching a, a pirate game or a Steelers game, whatever it was, um, I, I would watch with him. And then, you know, I, I loved to play out in the yard with my friends. And, and so, yeah, I would say it was always a part of, um, who I was and, and I loved to compete and it didn't really matter what it was. It could be a board game or right. basketball or, or, you know, we played a lot of, we called it tennis ball just because baseballs would, would break windows and tennis balls. <laughs> so uh, we played an awful lot of that growing up. Now, you know, and, and along that growing up, selling became popular as well for you. Your dad ultimately became president of the Ohio Valley Athletic Conference and you helped by selling tickets for him and selling raffle tickets. So is that when it really kind of hit you? You know what? Selling, ticketing, this could be, this could be for me. You know, it, it, I would say not yet, not quite. Um, but what it did do is it, it taught me the skill set. So my dad was a great salesperson, even though he was a truck driver. And, you know, when he got disabled when I was eight years old and he was a workaholic and he had to find something. So he started volunteering at our local booster club. And then, you know, with the athletic conference and one of the, the not one of the major fundraiser was they would do a, they'd raffle off a car every year. And so I, you know, I wanted to hang with my dad and he'd go and he'd sit in front of a mall or a Kroger or whatever. And he would sell these raffle tickets. And I just noticed that when he did it, he hustled. And then sometimes if I just happened to go into a Kroger and there'd be someone else selling, they weren't hustling. They'd just be sitting there hoping someone came up to them. And it was a, it was one of those things that everybody in the Valley knew what this raffle was. Cause it was, it was always there, but you know, I watched my dad sell a lot more and he just, he did it by just talking to people. Um, he'd build relationships very quickly. Um, whether it was, you know, making small talk with the, the husband, if he was going in with the wife or, you know, joking around with the children, whatever it was. And so when my dad asked me if I wanted to, to help out, you know, I, I looked at it as an opportunity to take what I'd learned from him. And, and this takes it back to the competition, Travis, like, at this point, I wanted, I would always ask my dad, hey, how many did you sell? Right. Um, and, and I just wanted to beat everybody out there. Um, and during the holidays in particular, they'd be all around malls and grocery stores. And, and I would just hustle and make sure I spoke to everyone. And, you know, kind of my th you know, our thing was a dollar a piece or six for five. And my whole thing was, hey, if you do the six for five, I'll fill them out for you. Because their biggest objection was always, I don't have time. Time. And I, and I was like, ah, no, 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 I'll get that for you. Um, and you know, most people would sell, you know, 50, $75, 50, 75 tickets. And I come home with three, 400. Yep, um, yep. and so it was, uh, it was one of those, it was a rush for me. 
And, and, and so I think at that point, I still didn't put my finger on sports sales, but I did say, Hey, you know what? Maybe sales is something that you could be good at. Um, but I still was more of a numbers person. And even at that point, you know, accounting was where I thought I was going to see myself. You know, and it's your point. One great advice, right? It's it's all about sales is you, you learn how to deal with objections, but also it's just the competitiveness and I'm going to win. I'm going to find a way. And Doug, you mentioned as you're growing up, your dad was a truck driver early on. You had some siblings doing that as well. And they always told you that's just not the life for you. So you ultimately end up going to Ohio University first as an accounting major and then switch to sports management and sports science. What made you make that switch? So you know, when the dorm that I just happened to move into was uh, um, there were upperclassmen in it. So we had the way it worked is on one side of the hallway, it was 14 girls. And on the other side, it was 14 guys. And um, there was only like four freshmen. And so there were 10 upperclassmen in there. And one of the, you know, you move in, I think I moved in on a Saturday. So it's right off the bat. It's the beginning of September. It's college football. And so, you know, right there, you had a, that, that bonding right off the bat because you saw who was interested in college football. And Ohio, U didn't have much of a football program. I think we won four games in my four years. So there was always a better game on TV. So I watched the games. And then on Sunday, it was NFL. And I could tell right away I was going to hit it off with a lot of these people because these guys were all wanting to watch the same things I was. And, and they wanted to spend their Saturday and Sunday watching football. And so – you know, fast forward to the beginning of the school week, um, I go to start my classes. And one of the classes I had was a calculus class. And it was, a, you know, it was a requirement for an accounting major. And I just remember walking into that class and I'm like, I, I don't, this is, I'm lost. Like, I don't, I, this is day one and I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> and so I went back to my dorm that day and I was talking to one of the, my uh, roommates or, or mod mates, they called them. And he was telling me about his degree and he's like, yeah, maybe you'd, you'd like this. He's like, I, I'm, it's sports management, sports science. And I was like, man, I didn't even know that was a degree. Like I'm in, I am all in. And so he told me who the Dean of the, the school was. And literally the next day I walked into Dr. Catherine Brown's office and it was funny. I, you know, I knocked on the door and I'd always, I had heard from him that she was super tough. Um, <laughs> And he had given me advice. He's like, whatever you do, don't wear a hat. And he's like, if you wear a hat, don't wear it backwards. And so I wasn't even thinking. I woke up that morning. I went over and I walk in. I knock on the door. She's like, you know, may I help you? And I, you know, I'm Doug Dawson. I want to, you know, switch majors. I'm currently in the business school, blah, blah, blah. I'm going through. A, and she looks at me and then looks back down at whatever she was doing. And she literally isn't answering me. You had it was hat on backwards. Awkward, it was the most awkward 30 seconds. And I'm like, what the hell? And I finally hit me and I reached up and I had a hat on. And literally, Travis, I took my hat off. And as soon as I did, she spoke to me. And so that day I changed. So I started there. I changed, changed my major. She had to give me the form. Of course, this was there was no internet. Uh, it was you know 1992. And I'm uh, you know, I'm I'm getting ready to uh, go up to it was Chubb Hall where our admin building is, and I'm I'm switching my major. And at that same point, so I, I switched my major and then I dropped accounting and then picked up another class. And, you know, the rest was history. I, I you know, here I was now, I, I left the business school and entered health and human science, sciences, which now at Ohio U, the, you know, the sports management 
a right. degree is in the College of Business, but back then it wasn't. Um, and and I was off. That's awesome. <laughs> and Doug, as you're going through college, you end up having just an amazing interview with, you know, kind of that the local team you grew up going to, the Pirates, which had to be, you know, super exciting for you. But then all of a sudden the baseball strike happens, yep. certainly derails those plans. And so we've talked a little bit about, you know, rejection and overcoming things. So how did you overcome that? And what was your overall thought process? So, I mean, when I, first of all, I got a contact with the pirates and got the interview. And when I went up there, you know, for, for me at this point, I'm, I'm 19 years old, I believe, um, you know, I pull into Three River Stadium and I'm, I'm sitting in a car and I'm probably 90 minutes early for this, this interview because I didn't want to be late and Pittsburgh was about an hour, hour and 10 minutes from my house. And of course the interview is at 9 a.m. and I didn't want to be stuck in, in Pittsburgh traffic and right. what have you. So I just remember pulling in that parking lot and I'm just sitting there and um, I'm like in awe that I'm about to walk into the business side of this, of this building that I grew up going to. Yeah. And so- I went in there and I couldn't have been more excited. And, you know, I interview intern candidates all the time. And I just, I think back to how I was, and this was a dream, like to, and in particularly to work in baseball, because I grew up such a big baseball fan. And I sat there and I just watched the clock go and go and go. And I, I was seeing all the employees starting to walk in. And it really hit me at that point that, man, this is a bigger business than I anticipated. I, I didn't realize this was such a big deal. And so anyway, I went in, I had my interview. Uh, it was actually, ironically, it was in the ticket office, which I, I, on it, I did not care where it was. I would have swept floors. Right. I would have been the, you know, the Pittsburgh parrot. I would have done whatever they asked me to do. And, um, you know, sure enough, we got the job. And uh, he, he called me back, a, I forget how long later, and told me I had it. And then the baseball strike, like you said. And was the first time being impacted by something like that now you know I've been doing this now a long time so I've had NBA lockouts and NFL lockouts and labor strife and all of that and but this was the first time and you know I just didn't wallow in my you know I just didn't wallow in it I was like you know what this sucks but it kind of is what it is um you know there's nothing I can do I was able to get this one so maybe I'll get another one. And I happened to be having this conversation. Um, and the, one of the, the people that I was there with said, well, you know, my friend has a brother that works for the Detroit Pistons. Um, his name is John Caprell. And he was also from the Ohio Valley where I was from. And she's like, you got to reach out to him. I'll get you his contact info. And so I did. And, you know, John was a sales uh, rep there. Um, and he's like, you know, I, I, let me, let me get your resume and I'll get it to the people that would be hiring that position. And, um, so just so happened, um, I was dating a girl from, from Michigan and I was up at her house over Christmas break and I got the call and I wasn't completely unprepared. I didn't have dress clothes or anything. And so they asked me to come in for an interview and I, I went in or I went and got all my gear and, and, you know, got ready to go and probably was a little mismatched. And, you know, you know how you are when you're, you're 20, 21 years old, trying to dress up for the first time and the box tie collections. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, I walk in there and I meet with the, the head of HR first. And he's like, well, 
um, you know, we only have one internship and it's in ticket sales. And I was like, well, you know what, again, I don't really care what I do. Um, he's like, so, you know, you'll interview with me and then you interview with John Shazeski, who everybody calls Giz. And, uh, you know, if those go well, then we'll see. And, um, sure enough, they went well. And, uh, you know, that was my first opportunity. I got offered the internship and it was going to be in the summertime. And, uh, man, I, I was, I was on cloud nine. I, you know, that losing that internship was one of the hardest things I ever had to deal with because, you know, at that moment it, it could have been, man, this, maybe this just isn't for me. Maybe I need to do something else. Change my career have, path. Yeah, whatever. And, uh, fortunately I hung in there and, uh, it, it was, you know, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. Yep. And, you know, the rest of my career headed in the direction it did in large part to being in Detroit. And if I would have went to Pittsburgh, who knows what would have happened? Right. Who knows what would have happened? Well, to your point, Doug, you end up landing on your feet with the Pistons and you, you ultimately meet one of your biggest mentors in Chad Estes, who, who you work again with now they're at the Cowboys. So first, what's your advice to listeners about finding a mentor or mentors really early on in their career? You know, you don't force it. Um, you know, you need to find somebody who wants to invest time in you. And, and that's exactly what Chad did. You know, Chad, when, when I started and a few weeks later, Chad came on board the Pistons and, and I was in the entry level, the inside sales role. Chad was in the senior, more premium role. And, you know, the only thing that I knew about him was that he played basketball at a high university and, I did not play basketball at high university, but I went there. So I used to yep. sit in the stands and, you know, and, and cheer these guys on. And you had and more so, fun in college, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know about that. Chad seems to have had a lot of fun too. Um, but, but we, but anyway, so I knew that and what had happened is they had brought in a consultant to work with our entry level group and Chad knew that consultant really well. So what I figured, what I learned pretty quickly is that every night, he would come downstairs and talk to, it was Mark Norelli. Um, and, and he would talk to Mark and I would be out there on the phones. And I just realized that, man, this guy works late. And every morning he's there early and nobody in the Pistons organization was brought in at the senior level. Chad was. So I'm, I learned pretty quickly. I was like, this guy, there must be something to this guy. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, you know, hitch my wagon to him and, and see, um, and so I started making sure I got there early. And then every night when those two would kind of talk after the day was wrapping, I'd spend some time with those guys and then I'd walk out with them. Yep. And yep. I just got to know Chad really well. Um, and, you know, even though there was only a few years age difference, he really, um, kind of took me on as a, as, yep. as a mentee and, you know, and he's been that way ever since, whether it's been professional or personal, he's kind of been there since the jump. And, um, you know, I can't imagine not having him in my, in my career, in my life more importantly. And, uh, again, I go back to that, that Pittsburgh thing. If I end up in Pittsburgh, I, it's very unlikely that I ever meet Chad at that point. Um, and so, you know, I I would just tell, tell your listeners that when they're looking for a mentor, you can't force it. It's just got to happen. It's got to be somebody who, who is interested in you as much as you're interested in getting that mentor, because it's a two-way street. And uh, if it's forced, it won't work. I, I've had people who it just didn't click with one way or the reason or the other. And, 
it's it's so forced it becomes awkward and uncomfortable and it just does you know it that's just not the way to go about it there's there are people out there that will will take an interest in you and and you'll just know it when you see it absolutely and, and doug you know while you're at the pistons you're selling well and and the cliche story kind of you know in the sports world both on the the, the team side and the business side is sometimes the the best athletes or the best sellers aren't always the best leaders and you yep. end up getting put into a leadership role, but you are very self-aware and self-claim that you weren't very good early on and you end up getting moved back into a sales role. And so what were some of those challenges early on in your career as you were transitioning to leadership and, and how did you overcome them? So it was funny. So I, I Chad was the direct, he, he got named the director of inside sales and I was in group sales at the time and he brought me over to be the assistant director of inside sales, which was probably one of the most unnecessary positions ever. But thank, thank God Chad gave me that opportunity um, because it was a really pivotal part of my career. And so when I got there, um, Chad was still a selling manager. We had these, this entry-level crew. And the problem was I had just been on that entry-level crew with them. And so here I am trying to manage them. Yep. And these are my buddies. These are the same guys I'm playing basketball with on the weekends. I'm playing golf with, I'm, you know, going for happy hour with. And, right. and so they, you know, if they weren't making calls, I'd be like, come on guys, we got to make calls. And then they might say, ah, you know, come on, double D. You know, on, you know, yeah. yeah. And then I would no, you need to make calls. And I just, it wasn't, it didn't take, like I wasn't, good like I just tell um and you know Chad and I'd have conversations and and he'd say man you just gotta you know tone it down a little bit relax a little bit whatever well I did that for about six months I was 23 years old Travis I was I was in you know Chad was 26 and we were managing all these all these salespeople. Yep. so I you know get called into Chad's office and he tells me that one of our senior reps is leaving and they think it'd be great for me to go there I think it Chad never said that he never used the words. This is because you, you suck at leadership, <laughs> but he's like, you know, you didn't sell very long, which he wasn't wrong. I, so, I only right. sold for about six months before getting this promotion. Um, and he said, this is a good opportunity for you to be up there with the senior group, report to Giz and get some more sales experience, which I think will be great for your career. In my heart, I knew it was because that was part of it for sure. But it was also, I just, I needed to mature and, and grow up a little bit. Um, and honestly, I didn't truly know until a few years later after I ran into some of my old salespeople and, you know, we were just having a drink and they told me, you know, we were, I think it was at NBA league meetings. They're like, man, you were, you were tough to work for. Um, and I didn't want that reputation. Um, I just didn't. And, you know, to overcome it, I just worked hard at, becoming you know i was always this manager where everything was like in order and i had to be super organized and I, and i wasn't much of a leader and i just realized that i had to become a leader and in order to do that i had to mature and learn and watch other leaders and do all the things that you would want um and you know i like to think it happened over time but i am so glad that that happened that way because otherwise, you know, my next go around when I got into management, I felt like I was really good at it. And, there you go. and I was ready at that point. And I surely wasn't ready when I first got that opportunity. No, absolutely. And you kind of take that 
you were then Doug just recently married and your wife kind of wanted to leave Detroit. So you moved to Columbus, Ohio and you sold mortgages for a while. And so the combination of understanding that, that leadership perspective, plus getting out of the business, you know, could have easily kind of ended your career in the sports industry, but you kept motivated to get back into that business. Um, okay. And ultimately, you you started selling a little bit for the Blue Jackets. And then you received a call from Chad to come down to, from a leadership perspective, a talent, a stacked house with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And so why was that the right opportunity for you? So, you know, I was, I was doing these mortgages and, and Travis, I hated every single second that I did it. Um, I missed the business so bad. The only thing I liked was my personal life because my wife was happier in Columbus. And I had, you know, out of the seven or eight guys that were in my wedding, I think six or seven of them lived in Columbus. So it was like being back in college again. We didn't have any kids. We were hanging out with our friends. Um, Problem was I was making a fraction of the money and quickly realized that that was a problem. Um, But I hated it every day. And I, I got the opportunity um, I, I actually saw it, believe it or not, in the newspaper um, that the Columbus Blue Jackets were, were hiring. It really wasn't actually them. It was sports, uh, sports Facilities Marketing Group, which was a company just like Legends is today. They, you know, they sold the PSLs for the Blue Jackets. So I go in an interview um, and, you know, Chad put in a good word for me and uh, interviewed with, with some people. And they, they were so excited that I actually had ticket sales experience. Because every other person they hired in Columbus had never sold a ticket. Never. So the fact that I had actually done it before was a very well, you know, welcome sight. And so I got that job and I was doing it. But the way they did it, I started in August and the contract with that, that consulting company was only through December 31st. So I knew sure. that, I, it, it, you know, and then at that point it was going to turn over to the Blue Jacket. So I had to go, I had to go and impress so that I was hoping to get the job with the Blue Jacket. Well, Three months in, I got a call from Chad. He had just been named the VP of ticket sales for the Tampa Bay Lightning and said, hey, I'd like you to come down and be a sales manager. Um, And probably one of my best career moves, but not one of my best personal moves because I drove around the loop in Columbus almost twice, I believe, um, while I talked to Chad and I accepted the position. But as a newly married individual, (laughs) I had not yet told my wife. Um, I went home and said we were moving to Tampa. Um, and so, so here we are, um, just by your best sales job ever. Absolutely. I had to work hard to recover from that one. Um, but again, everything happens for a reason ended up being a great opportunity. So I I moved down to, uh, to Tampa to take the sales manager role. And as you mentioned, just rock star staff. So, so Michael Yormark is the EVP of sales. Chad's the VP. Lynn Wittenberg is the director of group sales. Uh, Chris Gargani's there, who's the VP now with the Jaguars. Chad Johnson is there. He's the senior VP with the Jaguars. Chris Hibbs, who's, you know, our, our senior VP with Legends and Sponsorship Sales. Mike Andreco is there, president of Legends Global Sales. Um, Brent Stelic. I mean, the list yeah. goes on and on and on. And, and I, I know I'm missing some people. Shortly after I, I get there, um, we hire Kevin Fertura, my counterpart with the Giants. Um, and, you know, so it's a it's an all-star staff that isn't quite finished yet because um, a year later when I was named director of inside sales, my first inside sales class included Ben Milsom, my counterpart with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, it included 
Brad Lott, who's in the industry, Clark Beacom, the CRO with Austin FC. Um, again, I know I'm forgetting people and I apologize to those folks, but man, just a incredible, incredible team. And we had one hell of a two years, even though the lightning were awful during those two years. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Doug Dawson, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service at the Dallas Cowboys. And Doug, to your point, you know, you're able to, to continue to evolve as a leader and, and back in this business. And you're, a, you're able to really handle those leadership you know, abilities and, and then some. And you ultimately then made a move to the Cleveland Cavs as the director of sales and then on to your first VP gig, which was with the Indiana Pacers. And so as you get to, to Cleveland and then ultimately to Indianapolis, what were some adjustments you had to make going from that manager director to that VP level? You know, the biggest one, Travis, was I, I felt myself, it was managing up became a skill set that I needed to develop because I was no longer just managing a team. And then, you know, as, as I mentioned, I was always with Chad. So managing up to Chad was something that just came natural to me. Right. Um, we worked together on everything, um, you know, whether it was staffing, you know, strategy, whatever. I mean, he was, I was fortunate because he included me in, in the, the whole gambit. So um, when I got to Indiana, you know, now I, I reported to our chief marketing officer and the, the chief operating officer. And, you know, I had to spend time with our CFO. And then I had, I was building departments below me um, because we didn't have an inside sales staff. Um, we were ramping up our sales staff, our cert, like everything. So I had to figure out how to, make sure I was doing the job managing my team, but then also how was I managing the group above me and making sure that the changes and additions that I wanted to make, I was able to get done. Um, this is my first kind of go around with, with managing a, a very sizable budget. Um, in Indiana, one of the things I'm so thankful for is that we had such an intense budget process that helped me become what I would say is a, a very good budgeter over the years. Um, and, and forecaster and, and things of that nature. So, um, you know, that was a, a huge transition. Um, and uh, it, it was one that I, I feel like I was ready for and hit the ground running. And we had a lot of success out of the gate. Um, and then things got tough for us because, you know, in 2004, on November 19th, we had a, you know, Ron Artest decided to jump up into stands in Detroit and, and, and yep. change our, our path that year. Um, Crazy as it was, Reggie Miller that year decided to 
uh, it was going to be his last season. And we actually broke a revenue record um, because people just wanted to come out and see Reggie. But, but those were some dark days um, dealing with customers and explaining, you know, it was a whole new set of objections, Travis, to what we were used to. That you had never <laughs> thought about. And no. you know, Doug, as you're building something special at the Pacers, you then get a call from a headhunter about a job in Dallas and, and you ultimately end up taking it shortly after your know, Chad comes down and, and joins you again. But did you ever imagine you'd still be there, you know, 14 years later and, and been promoted three times? Not at all. Um, you know, Chad and I talked about it a lot. Actually, we used to refer to it as the project. Like we thought we'd be down here. We'd sell the building out um, and, and move on to what was next. I mean, I had these aspirations to be a team president um, and, but when we got here, we quickly fell in love with Dallas. And I say we, I, I, I fell in love with Dallas. My wife did. At that moment, my kids were six months, two and five. Okay. Um, and, you know, so they didn't know any better, but we fell in love with where we lived. We, we bought a house in Grapevine. Um, the people down here were outstanding. The people that I worked with, even more outstanding. And, and I would say the, the biggest reason that it hasn't even crossed my mind really to go anywhere else has been the Jones family. Um, you talk about a, a sales oriented organization, um, a family business, but they treat all of their people like family as well. Um, you know, we get the resources need that, that we need to be successful. Um, they give us the opportunity to uh, do what we think is right. They're, they're not constantly over our shoulder or, or kind of mm -hmm. in our business. Um, they want to obviously know we report off and I do a daily report that goes to, you know, the whole family. And so we communicate constantly, um, but they let us do our thing. And, uh, I'm so thankful for that because, um, that's not always the case when you, when you work for a team. And that's a big part. You, you briefly talked about managing up and, and you certainly have, have learned to, to adopt that and then really become successful. And now being with the Cowboys, such an iconic franchise, and there's a lot of cliche, but also certainly a lot of pressure. Uh, that comes along with that. And, and regardless of team performance, your team has always done a tremendous job breaking records, selling, you know, high end products on a consistent basis, regardless of that performance. So what has made you and the team so successful during the last 14 years? I think the people, the getting the right people, Travis, this, if there's one thing I've learned in my 26 years in this industry is, is that if you hire and work with great people, then you have an opportunity at great success. And, you know, we've been so, so successful at getting great people in here. Um, and the, the, you know, when we moved here, we were, we knew we had a, a you know, we were going to sell a lot of tickets in a big, beautiful new stadium and they were going to be priced like nobody's ever seen them priced before. And so we hired 36 salespeople. Um, of those 36, I think 30, Two of them were brand new, hadn't worked here before. You know, we retained four. Um, we hired nine service people, CRM, you name it. And in doing that, um, we just were so fortunate to get the right group of people. Um, and over the years, as we've, can, you know, had less and less inventory and scaled that staff back down to where I'm at, we're at 10 now, um, we've just, that's been a key for us is getting good people, getting the right people. Um, people who want to work hard, like-minded people, great teammates, 
Um, people who get just as excited if they make a sale for one of their counterparts and if they make a sale from themselves. Um, we love to celebrate our victories. That, and, and fortunately, this goes back to the Jones family. They allow us to. Um, you know, we've, we've done, you know, things here. I'll give you an example. We hit a, a huge revenue goal that when we set out to do this was the goal. You know, our kind of theory was making history. And when we did this, it was history made. And when we did that, we had already, you know, we'd been doing this for eight years. And so a lot of our team had left and went to other places by now. And so we brought them all back for a huge celebration. And the fact that the Jones family committed to doing that, putting them up in hotels, them and the, their spouse having this crazy weekend, you know, party um, to celebrate it. Like we've always celebrated big um, because, you know, the revenue we're generating is big. And we believe that uh, that's the best way to go about it. And that's just to go to show that the value of working for the right people and the right organization, you guys have had a ton of success and have grown a ton of talent, you know, throughout the, the Cowboys, you know, kind of ladder. And, you know, you mentioned, Doug, two years after you started, that new building opens up and it wasn't just any venue, you know, the Immaculate Jerry World, the AT&T Stadium opens up. And so as you think about that, how is that experience going through and, and probably sitting in some of these blueprint meetings to, to then ultimately kind of selling, you know, at a high level? You know, it, it's the thing I think that amazed me the most was looking at those renderings back in 2007 and then actually seeing this thing come to life. You know, our offices, we were in trailers right on the corner of Collins and Randall Mill, which is right where one of our parking lots is now. And, you know, so I watched this thing come up every single day and watch it actually come up and be what we really had wanted it to be. And, you know, the Jones family started this process, I think in the late nineties, I mean, going around the world, checking out venues, into um, making sure that they could build, they knew if they were going to do it, it was going to be, have to be the best building that was ever built. And I think they hit the mark. Yep. Um, you know, it, it was, it was fun to be part of that experience to see it come from the ground up to, you know, you know, I, I still know who bought the first PSLs, um, you know, Chad sold him like, you know, it's those types of things that you don't usually get that opportunity to do. Um, but what's probably been the most fun, Travis, is watching people from that original team that are now out in the industry, whether it be with legends or other teams in just high level leadership positions. Yep. That has been, you know, because that's what we told them, you know, when we when we were recruiting and we're just like, you know, we were just saying, hey, this is an incredible opportunity for your career and we're going to have your career in mind. And when this project wraps, um, we're going to do everything we can to get you to the next level and just list, you know, I, I've, we've got this chart of people that, you know, started on this project and the things that they've accomplished. Um, as much as I'm proud of the number and the revenue we did in this building, I'm equally, if not more proud of that number. When as you think about that, and you and I know a lot of the team members that have come from that that they're on to, to really big things and exciting things in this business. You know, it's like, look, if you can sell this, you can sell anything because yes, it's the Cowboys, yes, it's brand new, but you're selling multi-million dollar deals, multi-years, the PSL. So how how was selling and, and I guess advice for the listeners of selling and thinking big and selling that type of premium? the PSLs compared to just some of your, your generic season tickets or memberships? You know, the, the biggest thing, Travis, is you got to believe in your product. You have to see the value. 
you and and so that was what we spent i mean when we when we trained our team we trained them for like six weeks you know we called it training camp and it, it was it was training camp it was intense um and the thing we focused a lot on was this is not what you're used to selling if you have any of this kind of sales experience and ticketing um you know our our seat options range from two thousand dollars when we first got here up to a quarter million a seat and you know most of those companies buying the quarter million dollar seats are are buying four so you're at a million dollars before they even pay for the ticket just yeah the psl so we had to get as leaders we had to get first comfortable and then we had to be able to convince 36 salespeople that they could go through their their sales pitch and end and be able to ask for, in some cases, a million dollars or more um, and do it confidently because they had to believe in what we were selling. And sure enough, I think we accomplished that. And that's why we had a lot of success because, again, it goes back to the right people. You had to get because we had a few people over the years that were like, I don't I don't think I mean, quite frankly, there were some people when we got here that didn't believe we could get the prices we were talking about. So needless to say, those aren't the kind of people you need on the, on your team. Right. And, and the people we focused in are the ones that believed. And that was our mantra. You just had to believe we were going to make history. And the only way you make history is if you break revenue records. And the only way you break revenue records is if you, you sell at prices that have never been seen before. And that's what we were able to do. And you guys have continued to crush it even post this pandemic of having a ton of success. And I think that goes to show, you know, again, back to the people, you're hiring the right people, but, but you as a leader and, and Doug, as you think back now to that first leadership experience at the Detroit Pistons, you know, what's your advice to listeners that really want to get into leadership and, and what they should do different than maybe you did early on in your career? I, you know, I think there's this thought that, when you be, get in a leadership position, you're the boss and that the boss can't all has to always be, it always has to be hardcore and you have to do what the boss says. And again, I was 23. I had never been the boss of anything at that <laughs> point. You know, I was the baby of nine kids. So I sure as hell wasn't the boss when I was growing at up. Home. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, you know, for me, I had to, I had to learn pretty quickly that it's okay to let them manage their own business and, and let them go um, because, and it's okay to manage everyone differently. This is probably one of the keys, Travis, because I think over time, I had always heard about fairness. Like you got to treat everybody the same. Well, I learned pretty quickly that I can, if I'm managing 15 sellers and I try to manage all 15 of them the same, it's unlikely that, that we're going to be successful because everybody's different. And as a, what I, changed about myself was I got to know these people so that I knew kind of what made them tick so that I could better lead them down the road to to success. Like, what can I do to get you where you want to go? And so instead of talking to them about the bottom line and what I needed their revenue to be, I started talking to them about their career. And this is one of the first things I learned from Chad. Um, If you're more interested in developing careers, then the revenue will follow. And so I started taking all of my people kind of under my wing and I still do to this day. You know, I have people that haven't worked for me in 20 years that I still talk to when they're changing jobs um, or if they're looking at opportunities or if they're just struggling about something. Um, 
And, and you know what, that would have never happened if I, if I wouldn't have failed first. Um, and it gave me a chance to step back and realize if I get to do this again, I'm going to do it differently. Um, and again, it comes down to, I, I talked a lot about hiring good people. And as a leader yourself, you got to be a good person and you got to, you got to care about your people on a, on a higher level than just revenue and production. No, absolutely. And I think that's a, a great advice where you, we talk a lot about customizing a package for your customers. You're customizing your leadership to the individual person uh, yep. and, and leading by example. And so, you know, Doug, as you look back at all the great experiences throughout your career, what's been your best memory? Um, without a doubt, opening this building. Um, you know, when, when we first started having meetings and talking about pricing this building, I mean, look, there was a there was a lot of moments of of fear where it was like, man, can we really get this kind of money? Can we really sell this many seats? Um, and then add into the fact that in 2008 you had the the you know economy crash, and not only were you trying to collect more money than anyone had ever had, we were doing it at a time when nobody had you know disposable income, and nobody had a lot of extra money to spend. Um, and so. I'll never forget sitting in my seats for that home opener against the Giants on September 20th. And, you know, we had 105,000 people in the building. And I just remember looking everywhere and realizing that, man, we had a large part in this. We had something to do with all of these people coming together to watch this team play um, in this just incredible building that is way ahead of its time. And, um, I've had some great memories over the years, but that's the one that will always stand out to me. Doug, this has been great. You've had an amazing career and, and certainly appreciate all the advice. So to close it out, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Sure. What reality TV show would you love to be on? I love reality TV, um, but I don't love being like out in the wilderness and stuff like that and eating things. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I should be eating. So I'd say big brother. Um, okay. I think survivor sounds fun, but I don't think I could make it more than, a, than 24 hours. So you're not making uh, it now. Nah, Big brother would be the show for me. I think where I can kind of chill out and relax and be around people. Nice. You have to sing karaoke. What song are you choosing? Uh, Amarillo by morning. I'm a huge George Strait fan. Always have been. Um, and, and that is my go-to if I'm, if I'm doing, I, I am not afraid to sing karaoke. So that there's definitely, I'm sure this is going to get me a few more opportunities after this gets out there, but uh, that would be the one. If we'd have a little more time, I'd have you sing, but we're, we're closing up on time. So what was the last thing you completed on your bucket list? So um, in July, I think it was July or maybe it was May. Um, I go to Vegas every now and then. So I was there twice. I can't, I can't exactly remember. Maybe it was May. Um, we took a helicopter ride into the center of the Grand Canyon. Um, and although I would tell you I get motion sick very easily, so that trip wasn't the most awesome experience for me as far as how I felt when I got to the Grand Canyon, it was incredible. To be able to be there with my wife and, and good friends, um, it was just an incredible experience. I had never been on a helicopter. I'd never been to the Grand Canyon. And so I got to kill two birds with one stone. So that was an incredible experience now. I don't feel a need to do it again, um, but um, I'm glad that I did it. I think that's a lot of things with the bucket list. You do it once and you say, hey, I've, I've, ch I've checked it off the list. Well, Doug, exactly. to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um, first and foremost, you've heard me mention it, be a good person, first and foremost. Hire good people, 
and and find something that you're doing that you absolutely love. Um, Travis, I don't know that I've worked a day in my life, um, but I, it, I've just been fortunate to, you know, every now and then I pinch myself and I just can't believe I, I come into work at AT&T Stadium every day. Um, the experience I've had, I think back to a, a, a young, you know, kid in, in St. Clairsville, Ohio, hanging with my buddies, playing sports, loving sports, and knowing that I get to work in this environment every single day is just, um, I have to pinch myself. So loving what you do and, and don't be afraid to dream about it. You know, great advice. It really kind of sticks to the two P's, people and passion. You're having a passion, but but being a good person, hiring the right people and, and successful following you, your career has certainly shown that. So Doug, thank you so much. Always a pleasure talking to you and I appreciate your time and expertise. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed it, Travis. Thanks so much. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Thank you.